Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And this week we're talking about the Netflix film trilogy Fear Street, the HBO Max series Made for Love, and the 2017 adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express. That's right. Yeah. So you watched the Fear Street trilogy. I have not watched it yet. And you were yeah. so excited about it that you bumped one of this week's segments in favor of it. I did. I'm sorry to anyone who who's tuning in because they wanted to hear about Architects of Memory, which is a sci-fi book, but I'm going to talk about that next time. I thought I was going to finish it over the weekend, and instead I just watched the Fear Street movies. <laughs> so. Okay, so anyone who has been listening to us for a while knows that one of my pandemic character developments has been liking horror movies now. <laughs> <laughs> so my former roommate, before I moved to Ohio, uh, we, we would watch them together. And I was thinking about watching this and I was like, hey, Erica, are you going to are you going to watch this? Can you can you rate the first one on a scary scale from one to five and a gory scale from one to five? <laughs> So I think she rated the scariness at like a two and the gore at a 3.5. And I was like, maybe, maybe I can handle this. Yeah. So I watched it and I actually, it was one of those things that I put on and I was going to do some other stuff while like emails and, and all that jazz while watching it. But I mm-hmm. like could not keep my eyes off the screen. Oh. Yeah. I was so sucked in by the story. So... These movies, it's it's a trilogy of movies, and they were released one after the other. Like, I think the first one was July 2nd, and then July 9th, and then July 16th. So it was Friday, Friday, Friday. Okay. Which I think is so interesting, and I don't don't know exactly how how much we want to get into that, but they're so interconnected that I think I would have been really frustrated if these had been traditional movie releases, and there was like a year in between them. Mm-hmm. I think it's exciting that television is changing and, and we can do things like that. And I, I read that they filmed them all at the same time. I don't know if they did them concurrently or consecutively, but they filmed all three in like four months back oh, in like wow. 2019. Yeah. Cool. So I just, I don't know. I just thought that was a kind of a cool tidbit that is neat. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, these are based on the Fear Street books by R.L. Stein, and I don't know anyone who didn't read R.L. Stein as a child. I didn't because I was too old. Because you're an old. <laughs> I'm an old. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it was like one of the big things that I read. I was more into Goosebumps, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't actually remember if I read the Fear Street books, but they came before the Goosebump books, I believe. Oh, okay. And he was one of the first, I watched a little inter- interview with him, and he was one of the first people who was doing YA horror, which I think is really neat. Yeah, that's cool. So the the Fear Street books, they take place in a fictional town of Shadyside, which seems to be cursed. And there's a nearby town named Sunnyvale that, like, is, it's, richer and all the good stuff happens there so there's a really intense rivalry between these two schools and the kids from both areas Mm -hmm. as far as i know because i haven't read the books or at least i if i read them i forgot about them because it was so long ago 
I think it's it, this is more of a loose adaptation. Mm. Maybe we can talk to Luke and James and, and ask them to, <laughs> to cover the adaptation of it. Yeah. But I, I sometimes think loose adaptations are really fun because you could still have the essence of the story, but play with a lot of things. And yeah, so anyway. I just really like this. I thought it was I thought it was really great. It's super gory, so watch out <laughs> for that. Okay. So these movies are directed by Lee Janiak and they are written by her as well as co-writer Phil Graziaday. I hope I pronounced that right. I'm so sorry. You'll never listen to this, but that's okay. <laughs> Each is sort of a, its own story, but it's not exactly self-contained. They all feed into one another. Mm-hmm. So the first one takes place in 1994. So you've got that nostalgia factor. Mm-hmm. It opens in a B. Dalton's. And I was like, miss those places. Nice, <laughs> nice, uh, <laughs> nice choice there. <laughs> R.I.P. B. Dalton's <laughs> and Walden Books and all of those good places. <laughs> and malls, too. It opens yeah. in a mall. And I think you and I have talked about this a little bit especially in regards to a movie that we will talk about next week. But there's a very neon aesthetic in the 1994 one, which I found quite fun. Cool. It pops back in the third one as well. So I'll get to the plot in a second, but the second movie takes place in 1978, and the third movie takes place half in 1666 and half back in 1994. Okay. So, in 1994, you have a group of teenage characters who are all played by very young-ish actors, and they're all fantastic. You have Dina, who's played by Kiana Madeira, and Sam, who's played by Olivia Scott Welch. There is Josh, Dina's brother, who's played by Benjamin Flores Jr., and he is amazing. He's a standout. I really... (laughs) I think I tweeted something like, I'm in the middle of this movie. It's really capturing my attention. I will riot if Josh dies. Because <laughs> I liked him a whole lot. And then you have Kate, who's played by Julia Raywald, and Simon, who's played by Fred Hetchinger. So you have this group of, of friends. Uh, Sam's not actually in their friend group. But they're right at the heart of this rivalry between Shadyside and Sunnyvale, because Dina and all of her friends go to Shadyside. And Sam used to go to Shadyside, but her parents divorced, and she has moved to Sunnyvale. So there's a lot of bad blood between Dina and Sam, because they're also exes. And there's a lot about, you know, queer culture in in 1994, and does Sam feel safe enough to come out, and all of that stuff. So what happens is, through this rivalry, there's a car crash, and when she gets out of the car that has crashed in the woods... She gets out and sort of trips and lands in what was a grave mm-hmm. of the of witch named Sarah Fear. And both towns know this story that's been passed on for over 300 years about this witch who cut off her hand and made a deal with the devil and she cursed the whole town. So there's this whole legend that Shadyside has been cursed by this witch. And since Sarah Fear was hanged, Every once in a while, throughout Shadyside's history, someone has gone mad and killed a bunch of people. The movie opens up with one of these massacres. And B. 
because Sam touches the bones of this witch, all of these killers throughout the 300 years come after her. So it becomes a race to keep Sam alive and try to figure out how to break the curse. And then the 1978 movie goes back in time and examines one of these massacres and how it's connected to the present time of 1994. And then the 1666 one goes back and actually digs into the tale of Seraphir the witch. And one of the things that I thought was really, really cool was these all take place in the same two towns. (laughs) And you see the same locations over and over again. But I mean, they're obviously different things in the different time period. Mm-hmm. So the tree where Seraphir was hanged becomes like the centerpiece of the mall in 1994. Oh, wow. And things like that. Yeah. And there are like tunnels underground. It's very, very cool. Every once in a while, it's a little hard to keep track of like, wait, what was that place supposed to be? But there are a few <laughs> <laughs> map visuals, so it's not too bad. I thought it was re- a really cool use of the actual physical location. Yeah. And that ties into the themes a lot because, you know, they're figuring out, is the town cursed or is it something else? And everything's very location dependent. So I just thought that was really cool. Cool. Yeah. It leans into a lot of horror tropes. So it's very much a slasher. They are all very much slasher films. I close my (laughs) close my eyes a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Erica rated the first one a 3.5. I would definitely make that at least a 4 on the gore scale. There are definitely some there are some murders that are off screen, but a lot of them are on screen. There's a lot of blood. So just be careful of that. Okay. Yeah, I'm not super into slashers, so I don't know really why I wanted to watch these, but <laughs> the story turned out to be really, really great. Cool. The music is very good. Marco Beltrami, I think, did the music for 1994. And Marcus Trump, and then Beltrami and Brandon Roberts did it for 1978, and Beltrami and Anna Drubich did it for 1666. So I think Marco Beltrami kind of provided the spine for okay. the motifs to go through all three movies, but I'm sure scoring three movies in a very short time period was yeah. a lot. <laughs> but the music is really good. I've been listening to it at work sometimes, which is mostly very cool, but sometimes it's horror music, so sometimes there's like a jump scare. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm at work. You can't scare me. (laughs) Anyway, what I really, really appreciated about this, it feels like Lee Janiak is a very big fan of horror, and there are a lot of references, and they pay homage to earlier horror classics. I'm not a horror expert, so I can't list all of them, and I'm sure I didn't really catch many of them. But what I really appreciated about what she was doing is that she really centers women and people of color. Dina and Josh are both Black, and Kate is, I think, Filipina. And I don't want to give anything away, but everything that you think you know from 1994 about Sarah Fear gets totally upended in 1666. And I just love the way they did it. And yeah, it was really good. I kind of want to watch it again, but I'm also squeamish. And I'm like, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> Aww. 
I don't watch slashers a lot, but I I do a little, maybe a little bit more than you would. But so I'm curious if I would think it's as gory. Yeah, but the plot sounds really cool. Like I think I would dig the plot for sure. The plot's very cool. Yeah, I want you to watch them. Just if you <laughs> if you I'm not gonna make you watch them, but if you have any inclination, lean into it one night. Okay. And let me know what you think. You don't have to watch okay. all of them. Just start with the first one and see what you think. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, that sounds great. I know. I can't believe I've been talking about horror movies so much. <laughs> well, but I think that the pandemic has definitely caused people to occasionally or deliberately branch out of things that they like to watch and read and yeah. listen to. So, you know, that one good thing came out of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. You know that meme that's like, you can be a different person after quarantine? Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. No. Oh. <laughs> Mine's that uh, I'm, I'm now a horror fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, but you have been watching something completely on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about that. This is not horror. This is romantic dramedy sci-fi series. <laughs> okay. And I finished it a while back, but we just hadn't gotten a chance to get to it yet. It's called Made for Love, and it was on HBO Max, and it's based on a book, but I haven't read the book. It's based on a novel by Alyssa Nutting, and uh, there's only eight episodes in season one. I don't know if there's, see, I don't know if there's going to be a season two. I kind of think so. It's gotten a lot of really good reviews, so I, I hope okay. it has a season two. And this stars um, Kristen Milioti as a woman named Hazel Green Gogol. Kristen Milioti, of course, it was the mother and how I met your mother. And she was in Palm Springs, which didn't we both see that, I think? Or maybe no, not. I didn't watch that. Sorry. Oh, so good. Anyway, <laughs> she's she's great. Billy Magnuson as Byron Gogol, a couple other veteran character actors, but then Ray Romano is Hazel's dad, Herbert Green. And basically what happens is Hazel and Byron are married and they've been married for 10 years. And Byron is a tech billionaire. He's kind of as if he runs a mishmash of Google and Amazon and Facebook and all put together into one company. And he's always inventing new things, new technology, new devices. And Hazel and Byron live in this kind of artificial environment. It's all very mm. idyllic and looks really pretty. It looks like a house that you'd sell in Selling Sunset. Um, <laughs> nice. But it's all like fake. It's all in a big box in a desert. Hmm. And the environment isn't real. And Hazel's been living in this environment without leaving it for the entire decade. So she's kind of wow. almost in a quarantine situation. But anyway, Byron has developed this device that you implant into someone's brain. And if two people have it implanted, it allows them to just completely mind meld and share each other's thoughts and feelings, and you no longer are two separate people. You are basically sharing one brain. Oh my gosh, I hate that. Yeah. And well, yeah, <laughs> he thinks it's great. In like public press briefings, Hazel stands by his side and professes to think it's great. But then he announces that he's going to be testing it on Hazel herself, Ooh, and that they're, they're going to mind meld as a couple. And she is like, no, thanks. And so she escapes one night and it's really difficult to get out of this kind of compound. She has to like almost drown herself in the swimming pool and swim out through this little like manhole basically and escapes oh, into geez. the desert. 
with nothing. And she's like, thinks she's removed the device from herself, but it turns out she really hasn't. And he's already activated it. And she goes on the run and goes to her dad's, like, I think he lives in basically a mobile home and is a widower. And they do not have a great relationship because she's been essentially missing for a decade. Oh, geez. And it just kind of goes from there. And Byron sort of tries to track her down and she's continually trying to escape and has friends that try to help her. And she is sort of trying to figure out who she can trust and who she can't trust. There's some people at his company that seem like they're trying to help her. This one guy, Herringbone, and this woman, Fiffany, which I think is a hilarious name. (laughs) And then Hazel has an old friend from high school named Bangles, played by the wonderful Patty Harrison, who she's been on Shrill. It's really funny. It's very kind of dark. You're never sure who to be really rooting for or what you should kind of hope to to happen. And it's sort of season one does end on a little bit of a cliffhanger, but it also can feel kind of self-contained. But yeah, if you if you like to be sort of thinking about what is the next progression of tech, it's sort of like a more comedic extended Black Mirror episode, basically. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So if you like to sort of like think about tech in a Twilight Zone perspective, it's got that going for it. But there are moments that are very funny and strange. There's a lot of really weird stuff that goes on with Hazel's dad. He is extremely quirky and has some very weird habits, which I will not spoil, but they are very odd and embarrassing and just strange. Yikes. And I never watched Everybody Loves Raymond, but you know, he is actually, Ray Romano is actually a pretty decent comedic actor. (laughs) So he is, it's kind of interesting to see him in this completely different role. Mm -hmm. And Kristen Milioti, like I said, she's, she's great. She's always, she does sort of neurotic stressed out woman very well (laughs) yeah she she kind of always looks really stressed out she's got like big eyes and she's really small and she's she looks very upset all the time yeah so she was very well cast and uh byron gogol played by billy magnuson billy magnuson kind of makes this very creepy unlikable character like you kind of want to like him because he is very handsome and he's (laughs) charming in a certain way and then also kind of awkward and you can't tell if he's doing these things out of true malice or just not getting how human interaction and relationships should work so Mm -hmm. and the fact that he's created this compound and wants to sequester himself away from most people and just simulate life instead of living it in real life that is sort of a sad difficult thing that reminds me a lot of that inside with Bo Burnham special that we talked about a few weeks ago. So yeah. yeah. And so there are some interesting things that, I mean, this was filmed before the pandemic, but I feel like there are some things that make it seem very appropriate for our times, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a a very short time commitment. So. Okay. Are they (laughs) half hour episodes or? Yes. Half hour. Half Half hour. hour. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's cheeky, it's it's strange, it's subversive, it has a lot to say. The people are really appealing, so it's you know, it's it gets philosophical, but it's not it's not so heavy, you know. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, there is an upsetting element to it that does feel squicky, but I think they're trying to make commentaries on that very upsettingness. So Yeah. I see that Alyssa Nutting wrote or co wrote a good number of episodes mm-hmm. and 
All the episodes were directed by either Stephanie Lang or Alethea Jones. So mm-hmm. it's yep. pretty exciting that they had women behind the camera. Yeah. This is a very woman-led show and based on woman-authored source material. So I do think it has some definite feminist messaging here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really good. Cool. I'm glad that you liked it. I'm not going to put it on my list. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, something that we both had on our list, mm-hmm. I, we didn't, this just, just happened that I happened to watch this with my husband, I guess a week ago or so, because I just randomly was thinking about it. Basically, there was a dark and stormy night, and I was like, oh, we should watch Murder on the Orient Express just to be like finding some scary, you know, locked yeah. room mystery film. And at the time, we couldn't find it streaming anywhere, so we ended up checking it out of the library on DVD, like oh, okay. like super old people. And then finally watched it a couple of weeks ago. And it was really good. And then I talked to you about it and you had seen it and enjoyed it. So you rewatched yep. it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I watched, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Oh, and I cool. was really, really impressed with it. And I've actually watched it probably two or three times since then. Cool. Yeah. It's something I actually really like. But it's based on the Agatha Christie novel. It stars Kenneth Branagh as Hercule. Poirot, which <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you'll probably be better with all of the Belgian slash French. <laughs> but but he's he's a famous detective, and he gets on the Orient Express, which is a train, and there are a quirky cast of characters who are played by a very star-studded cast. Mm-hmm. You've got Judy Dench. Daisy Ridley, whom I love, Leslie Odom Jr. of Hamilton fame, Josh Gad, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, I couldn't remember her name for a second, (laughs) Derek Jacoby, Olivia Coleman. You've got like a ton of, a ton of good people. Yeah. Which is one, it's part of the appeal, I think. Did you say Penelope Cruz and Willem Dafoe? I did not. I did not. Because there were so many. I was losing track of (laughs) Johnny Depp, too. Oh, and Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Controversial Johnny Depp. But yes, yeah. <laughs> he he doesn't last long, so yeah. it's really okay. <laughs> he dies, it's fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so they're on this train and there's an avalanche or something. They get stuck in the mountains and snow. It's very gorgeous on <laughs> cinematography. And the morning they get stuck, they realize that one of the passengers, played by Johnny Depp, has been murdered in the night. So Hercule, Hercule, Hercule Poirot. <laughs> yes, that man takes the case, <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's sort of got a a sidekick, Marshall Book, <laughs> <laughs> played by Tom Bateman, and they they have to interview everyone and figure out what's going on. And I honestly just think it's a lot of fun. It's very satisfying. Is there anything? There's a, sort of a lot to the plot. Is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, for some reason. So I've not actually read the book and I haven't seen other adaptations, but it's so in the consciousness that I was like, well, this reminds me of a Doctor Who episode. And I realized that, well, <laughs> doy, like the Doctor Who episode is based on Murder on the <laughs> Express, <laughs> not the other way around. Yeah, I and I've never seen the TV series Poirot, which okay. I understand is supposed to be really good. Kenneth Branagh also directed this. So I yes. can't imagine... I mean, he does that all the time. He directs him, himself in a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. But this is so like tight quarters and difficult cinematography and yeah. 
Like you have this very complicated plot, and I cannot imagine being the main character who is in like almost every scene and trying to also direct the movie. Like that's, oh, he's just that's a lot. It's crazy, and you wouldn't think that something with such a very basic set would be hard to direct, but I think it would be. I think you know you've got limited space. So you've got to make really efficient use of your camera angles. And I'm sure they could remove walls and stuff, but it's still this very small quarters generally. Mm-hmm. But everybody is so brilliantly cast. And Michelle Pfeiffer, I just loved her. She plays this sort of like dishy, multiple widowed kind of American who's kind of like a cougar. <laughs> a <little bit>. yeah. <laughs> like it seems like she's flirting with all the men of a certain age and trying to sort of ingratiate herself with them. And I just thought she was really funny and really good. And Willem Dafoe is really creepy as this university professor, Gerhard Hardeman. And he seems really kind of racist and gross. And yeah. Yeah. And just, I don't know. I just think everybody is very well cast. Daisy Ridley looks so pretty in the period outfits and stuff. And Olivia Coleman does not get enough screen time yeah she's just judy dench's maid and she's brilliant and i just thought that was kind of a a little bit too small of a part for her but that's my only real complaint of the casting i understand that. i did see a funny thing that johnny depp had to yell at derek jacoby in character and he like well it was in character it was a part oh, of the script okay. and he oh, okay. respects him so much that he like apologized so profusely afterwards <laughs> Yeah, that would be very strange. Very strange. And then the other piece of strange trivia that I saw was that Josh Gad is a big Star Wars fan and was just <laughs> grilling Daisy Ridley and has like, there's <laughs> on his Instagram, there's a bunch of little videos of him interviewing her about Star Wars and her getting increasingly irritated. So. Yeah, I remember that actually. Because <laughs> this came out in 2017 mm-hmm. and the first Star Wars sequel came out in 2015. So she was mm-hmm. probably filming the last jedi close close to the time the same time that she was filming this so yeah 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 i too would not be able to control myself around <laughs> Daisy Ridley. I'd be like, can you please tell me what happens in the next film <laughs> <laughs> well and something else that's interesting is that there was a sequel filmed death in the nile death on the nile and that got delayed by covid but it's now scheduled to come out on february 11th so We'll see if it does. Yeah, I'm excited. But yeah, and I watched Snowpiercer not that very long ago. Okay. <laughs> Some of this like reminded me of that even. And, you know, this train going through snow covered landscape and it's yeah. all big and luxurious and scary. So yeah, but what is it about? I mean, Agatha Christie is like the creator of the idea of the cozy mystery genre. What is it about like a single murder in this closed environment and you've got a set number of potential perpetrators. Mm -hmm. What is it about that that's appealing? Well, I want to backtrack just a second because one of the points that I have on my notes list Mm -hmm. is just trains in all caps. (laughs) (laughs) Because (laughs) one of the things that I think is really cool are trains. So... (laughs) (laughs) the fact that it's set on one is very cool Mm -hmm. and i think death on the nile has a similar feel it's not a train but it's a boat you're sort of locked in the same place Mm -hmm. so i think the appeal of that sort of story is the um claustrophobia 
mm-hmm. which makes it a little bit extra scary and extra suspenseful because someone's been murdered and none of the people on this train or on this boat can leave. So it has to be one of these people. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the mole, which we'll talk yes. about next next yes. week because yes. you know you can't trust everyone. Right. But it becomes a question of who can you trust and you choosing the right people to trust and the right people to distrust mm-hmm. can be a, an actual matter of life and death, which is really scary. Yeah. So that's why I think yeah. it's cool. But why do you, why are you attracted to stories like this? Well, aside from the murder, it's a period piece. It's set in the early 1930s. It's very, there's a sense of luxury surrounding travel that we don't really have today. Mm. Like, I mean, there's people who come and bring you full meals and there's a dining car and you've got your little berth and stuff and you know there's different classes in the train so some people have to share a room and stuff but if you've got a little first class cabin it's like that your own little teeny hotel room on this moving hotel and that's neat and I don't think people really get to do that much anymore or if at all yeah and even though there's something horrible that happens on board there's, I think, a little shade and Freud of like, oh, well, all these people are rich. So like, maybe if one of them gets knocked off, that it's not that bad. <laughs> and maybe they deserved it. So I think there's a little bit of a sense of watching wealthy people sort of implode. But, um, <laughs> but there, is, there is a sense of glamour of this era that is long gone. But I think, too, we like, we like cozy mysteries, even if they have a murder in them, because the very definition of that genre is that they're not going to be graphic, unlike Fear Street. They're not going <laughs> to yeah. show, we do not see the murder. And this, I don't know what this was rated, but it's probably like PG even, because it's not very gruesome. And even though there's sad and upsetting things that happen, it's really, I think it's fairly all ages appropriate. And so it's more of a puzzle then rather than a more tangible murder, even though it is a murder. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting to figure out the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was actually rated PG-13. Which oh, okay. There are, there are a few sort of violent scenes, so that's probably... Yeah, now that I'm kind of thinking there are, yeah. but But still, that's not like super, it wasn't super graphic and it was yeah, not a exactly. slasher film, yeah. I did not have to close my eyes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it is really the perfect movie to watch. It's a little bit long, but it's the perfect movie to watch on a night when there's a thunderstorm or something or a snowstorm. Snowstorm. Yeah. Just have your your cup of chamomile tea, get under a cozy (laughs) blanket. It's really great for that. And one thing about Poirot as a character, he's He's got this very obnoxious mustache, and there's always (laughs) controversy whenever they create a new a new filmed production with him <laughs> depicted that either the people designing the character or the actor or the director makes the mustache either too crazy or not crazy enough. And apparently Agatha Christie was still alive when they made a version of this in the seventies. And she did not like Albert Finney's Poirot mustache, <laughs> thought it was too crazy. And yet Kenneth Branagh's mustache is seven times as crazy. So <laughs> she'd, she'd hate this. Oh, yeah. The guy who plays him in the TV show, it's a lot more understated than this. <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> I enjoy it. At one point, you see him at night, and he's got like this little mustache. I don't, mask? I don't even know what to call it. Yeah. But did you, did... It's like a little protective 
pillow or something. It's yes. really silly. It's really weird. <laughs> he cares about his, he's like a mustache connoisseur. He's very, he'd be one of these hipsters nowadays who would wax it and have all these little right. accessories for it. But it, I mean, it works for the character because he is eccentric. Yes. He's sort of like if Sherlock Holmes actually would be a little bit more demonstrative and had a sense of fashion that that is Hercule Poirot. And I think that's probably the purpose of him to be a kind of antidote to the very stoic and emotionless Holmes, who is notoriously a little bit standoffish. But yeah, I really liked Kenneth Branagh's portrayal. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see Death on the Nile too. Yeah, he's a pretty relatable character too. Mm -hmm. He likes everything to be like neat and straight. Mm -hmm. And I just yeah, he's cute. And he has a lot of heart. Mm -hmm. That's something I wanted to bring up that in this adaptation, there is a big and and the book because it's all about the plot. There's a big question of morality, and the ripple effects of murder. Mm -hmm. At one time, Poirot (laughs) says, one murder has broken at least a dozen lives. And I like to sort of wrestle with that stuff. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of times in Cozy Mysteries, you have the bad guy who does the murder, Mm -hmm. and you know they're bad. Yeah. (laughs) But in this one, it's a little more gray. And they're able to to portray that really well, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, which we can't really get too detailed with and uh, without spoiling it. But the book's like eighty years old. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's pretty faithful to the book, so we should still. Because <laughs> I hadn't read it. I mean, I didn't know what happened. Yeah, I kind of started to put it together after a point, and I remember saying out loud something about, "Oh man, I really hope that so and so isn't involved because I really like them." And of course, I was wrong. <laughs> and yeah. I was sad about that. <laughs> You know, what's funny is that Poirot has to have Book, or was it Book or Bach? Yeah. Tom Bateman's character. Marshall Book. Marshall Book. <laughs> has him be his little temporary Watson just because there's proof that he couldn't have done it based on where he was in the train. So he at least does have someone he thinks, I can absolutely trust this person, which is a benefit. And I think you always need that. And you need an excuse to have the detective have a sidekick that is trustworthy that you know didn't do it. And so this just really follows all the rules, the rules of the cozy (laughs) mystery. It's just perfect. So I like it. It's excellent. Josh Gad as being a semi-dramatic character was pretty interesting, too. And I wish he would do more. It's not a fully dramatic character, but there is a lot of humor here, too. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of cute, funny moments. And yeah, it's just it's really good. Super good. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Again, I want to point out that the music is excellent. Mm-hmm. This movie was scored by Patrick Doyle. And if you are someone who watches the credits of films, then you'll hear Michelle Pfeiffer sing a song called yes. Never Forget. Yes. <laughs> and it's That lovely. was beautiful. It was really beautiful. Yeah. And she doesn't get to sing enough. And she's got an absolutely amazing voice. So mm-hmm. it's very, like, it was very character appropriate, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you want... A little bit more spoilery coverage. Our friends at Ink to Film have done a few episodes on on this book, plus t- at least two different adaptations, I believe. So yes. go forth and check them out because yes. we don't like to spoil people. We don't. We have before, but we won't this time. So <laughs> yeah. yes, definitely check those Ink to Film episodes out. All right. Any other 
last minute points you want to make about Murder on the Orient Express? Well, I will say I'm continuing to read the Heathcliff Lennox series, and I'm currently reading one right now and just finished one. And I think that me reading two of those back to back, very inspired by enjoying this movie. So Nice. Yep. Excellent. Well, next week, I'm actually going to talk about the sci-fi book, Architects of Memory. (laughs) (laughs) And KW is going to talk about the reality competition show, The Mole. And we are both going to discuss the new Netflix film, Gunpowder Milkshake. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. And you can find our website at positivelypopculture.com. And please rate us and review us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.